0: This episode of The Hash is sponsored by CypherTrace, a MasterCard company.
1: This is The Hash Podcast. Stay
0: informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network.
1: It's Taco Tuesday, everyone, and you are watching The Hash. We are raising the roof for Taco Tuesday here. You're watching Coindesk TV or maybe listening to us on the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jensen Assi, Zach Seward, and Will Foxley. are joining me on the three box today. How are you guys?
2: Three box Thursday and Taco Tuesday. We're lovely. It's great I, stuff.
1: I just, I just mixed them up. Three box Taco Three box
2: Tuesday. Tuesday. I mixed it up. I mixed it up. <laughs>
1: It okay,
2: gonna... has, has a good ring to it. <laughs> I
0: don't know. It's normally on Thursday we do the three box. So I mean, every day is three box <laughs> Thursday. Every day can be three box Thursday. Is what I maintain. There are the seven hash.
1: days of the week, Zach. No, nope.
0: okay. three <laughs> box Thursday. Let's do this thing. What is time, really? All right, I'm leading this off today. We're going to talk about some enterprise blockchain stuff. Digital Asset, which in my opinion is one of the more poorly named companies in the space, <laughs> is leading a consortium with Deloitte, Goldman Sachs, and others to make interoperable private blockchains for the institutional sector a thing. Enterprise blockchain is back. Maybe it never went away, but it's a bit different now. And this speaks to the difference that we find ourselves here in 2023 relative to when we found ourselves in 2019, back when some of these initial ideas were floated. This one, I think you're seeing a lot of the interoperability conversation take place as you look to stitch together all these various institutional blockchains that are doing stuff over there in enterprise land. I'm going to toss this to Will. Maybe he has a spicy take. I don't know. Is this, uh, is this new news? Is this old news? Is this exciting? Is this a rehash of what we saw last time around?
2: What's your thoughts? Certainly not exciting. Uh, and to your point, yes, one of the worst named companies in the space. Impossible to find anything about these guys. But Fair. they are very good at getting money, I will say. Uh, looking at their team, they've been around since 2014. And the most recent fundraising series I could find, Again, this could be incorrect because it was super hard to Google anything about digital assets. Uh, The Series D, they raised $120 million back in 2022. That's a lot of money for someone who seemingly hasn't put out a lot of products. And that's a lot of these enterprise blockchain products, right? It's like we work with a lot of high profile names. We raise big rounds and some people use us out there in the ether to move money back and forth between banks, maybe take our word on it. That's mostly what we've seen to date. Like, there has been some stuff from like Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan about like their quorum chain and how they're using this uh, Ethereum fork of sorts to move stable coins back and forth themselves instead of like using like their own bank network. They use a blockchain-based bank network. But a lot of this stuff is this same old, same old. But it's put out some sort of enterprise blockchain solution which slaps some money on top of it and call it a day. So I'm pretty bearish on these things. Jen, over to you.
1: Yeah. So the interoperability piece and the synchronization piece really were driven home in this article. And I thought, like, isn't it funny that we've created this whole alternative financial system and we're still trying to solve these, these same problems, the interoperability and synchronization. And I hope that these institutions that are trying to implement the technology so that they can better work together behind the scenes ends up helping them work together for their end user. I mean, like, I don't know if you've ever tried to get information from one financial institution to another, or even from one department within a financial institution to another department, it is difficult. And I feel like the technology can be used to make that process a little bit better. And I think this is maybe a nice little blast from the past to show that institutions, you know, are not only looking at crypto from the currency standpoint, but they're still trying to use the technology. They're still trying to figure out how they can make their operations a little bit better. But yeah, it's definitely boring story to start us off with, Zach. So I'm kicking it back to you. Take us home. Make it exciting for us.
0: I will yeah. offer an alternate take. I'm excited about this. Come on, guys. The Canton Network, obviously, I think a nod to Switzerland, where they have different cantons. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, this, to me, is very much in the real world asset conversation. RWAs, it's everywhere. It's like a whole new narrative around RWAs. You're settling, I don't know, U.S. Treasuries on the blockchain. And there are operational advantages to doing that, right? You get instant settlement. You eliminate some of the bureaucratic red tape that exists with some of these back-end systems, right? So the fact that you have some really big names associated with this project, Goldman Sachs, BNP Paribas, big time names who are looking to experiment with this stuff as a way to improve operational efficiencies, that to me is maybe the story here, right? And it's maybe something that we shouldn't poo-poo out of just like out the gate, right? So the idea that these systems can be used within these networks of big old banks is something that I think is really interesting and something we've seen a lot of momentum around in the last weeks and months around this conversation, specifically around RWAs, right? Can we get these things? Can we tokenize the many, many assets in the world, tokenize them, log them to a blockchain, and find better ways to zap them around the world than our current system now with sort of correspondent banking and all this red tape that takes so long to get money across the world? If we can use blockchain to log that in a near instantaneous fashion, then surely that's an operational improvement. And I think that's probably what this bet is from Goldman Sachs, Digital Asset, and others. But I toss it to Will. I think he's going to shoot me down. Yeah, i going to shoot you down cool. hardcore.
1: I just want to say, we don't put words I mean, We did. We, I mean, we kind of <laughs> took maybe a dump on their name, too, a little too, bit. A little boring. bit you know? Not we, I mean, I, you. I hear you.
0: I hear I mean, <laughs> you. You're, you're right. You're right. Sorry, Digital Asset. I take it back. It's okay. You guys are like impossibly hard to search online. And
2: maybe that's a good thing. But anyway, Will, what do you think? <laughs> well, to be fair, they found it in 2014. So maybe they were too far ahead of their time. So it's like, you know, blockchain.com kind of nailed it because everyone's looking for them. But they could have, in an altered universe, been like completely buried by SEO. Last thing I want to say on this, Zach, <laughs> you are becoming like, the authoritarian lover <laughs> on the show, or something like, "What's up?" Yeah, with like, I like DC, yeah. Everyone likes DBTC. It helps me pay to my taxes. Yeah, that's right. I like enterprise yeah. blockchain. <laughs> yep. I don't know yep. something. I'm trying
0: to be like the Stephen A. Smith of like boring crypto takes. Uh, maybe that. I think mm. that's. I think that's gonna
2: be my lane. What do you think? I, I don't love it, but I guess it does <laughs> add a little color to the show at the very least. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll mm. leave that one there, and let's go to a different subject. We got another scoop from our favorite reporter, Ian Elson, Not our favorite reporter, but someone who's honestly killing it every time he writes a story. He's doing a great job. Private equity giant Apollo is part of a bid to buy bankrupt crypto firm Celsius. Apollo is a huge buyer of a lot of companies that go into Chapter 11 with about $500 billion under management. Why does this matter for them to be involved? Well, Celsius is actually sort of operating in the background with its Chapter 11 uh, ongoings. So they're still mining Bitcoin. They're still staking Ether uh, people are sort of like, working through the Chapter 11 filings, of course, in order to get like their money back, which they put on top of Celsius. That is ongoing. But in the background, we have a bunch of firms that are trying to buy the assets of Celsius, the operating assets such as mining and staking, as well with the information about these customers. This sort of mirrors the conversation that we're seeing with Voyager and Binance US and FTX. But Celsius seems to have maybe some larger players in the traditional scene that are actually interested in purchasing them up. I will throw this one to Zach because also slightly more boring story that I think. Zach's story. Zach, you got your beat now. It's a Zach story. It's such a Zach story. It is such a Zach story. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think I know who the source is on this one. I don't know, but I I think I know. I think I know. So that part to me, the intrigue, the reporting process intrigue, is entertaining. But yeah, the fact that Apollo here is stepping in and taking over Celsius, which certainly has a ton of baggage, right? You had Celsius, which was led by Alex Mashinsky, into the ground with some bombast and some hubris. And now they're trying to restructure it into something that is uh, different, right? We're talking about Bitcoin mining. We're talking about ETH staking. We're talking about a variety of services that are going to look very different from the Celsius that we knew and that some fans came to love. So the fact that there are operational units that make sense for a big old giant e- private equity fund to step in and buy. Certainly interesting. Apollo is not necessarily a stranger to the crypto space, right? They brought over Christine Moy. I think she was at JP Morgan before, uh, sort of shepherding a lot of that bank's crypto involvement. She's all part of the team now. So they're certainly a bit of crypto savvy on the squad. So if they see some stuff that makes sense for you know Celsius 2.0 and they want to get involved in that, in this, in this consortium that's bidding on this, uh, these assets, I think that certainly makes sense. And it's kind of par for the course, given what Apollo has done, I guess, in recent months, maybe a year to further ingratiate and, um, you know, deepen their ties to the crypto sector. So it, yeah, it is funny, just given the baggage that Celsius has. But I think based on this story, the new Celsius is going to be significantly different from the crypto lender that gave out ridiculous yields, um, and had a really rabid fan base. So I'm curious to see like, um, what Celsius looks like. Uh, should this come to pass. But uh, those are my thoughts. I don't know if that spiced up the boring take, but I give it to Jen.
1: I liked it, Zach. I liked it. A lot of Celsius news in the last week, right? So Mashinsky filed a motion to dismiss the NYAG's case against him, saying that it's like parroting misinformation. Celsius users are being told now that they can withdraw that last 6% of funds. So you'll remember that some users were told they can go ahead and withdraw 94%. And now I think in the past week, they were said, you know, that 6% is available to you. Now this massive private equity firm is said to be a part of the auction. And so, I mean, what was interesting to me is like, we're seeing the space go from like degens and crazy people with a lot of money and early stage investors, to something that later stage growth funds want to invest in, want to be involved in, want to take companies like Celsius and restructure them and figure out how they can work within them. And I think that that's really interesting, given the fact that the industry has only been around for about 10 years. Like, I think that is like absolute maturity in a very short amount of time.
2: Yeah. Speaking of maturity, let's talk about immaturity. Today is actually the one-year anniversary of that famous tweet from Doquan, Lads Deploy More Capital. And that ties into this whole story, right? Like, one year ago today, all these things were exploding. Terra Luna was exploding. Celsius had some Terra Luna bets. I believe they were able to like close all their obligations on that fairly quickly. But by that time, a lot of their other obligations were coming apart. Their whole lending scheme was collapsing after three years capital. Right? So just one year ago, we were talking about all the exciting things happening in crypto. And now a year later, we get to talk about all the boring things that are happening. All these companies coming in, buying up all these assets, restructuring things, sending money back to customers, making them partially whole. And to be fair, it's actually like the most important stuff at this point, right? To make sure that customers are whole and to to understand where all that is going. So for that, Zach, we do applaud you because you have it on lockdown.
0: Wow. That was a year ago. Oh my, oh my goodness. I just looked it up in the uh, the Doquan as Basis Cash co-founder May 11th, almost a year ago. So there was some late night sourcing wow. going on this time last year. Hmm. We were in the thick of it. That was insanity. Oh my God. Wow. Anyway. Is identifying and mitigating crypto risk a challenge? Do you need help balancing compliance issues with the need to protect against fraud? CypherTrace, a MasterCard company, can help. They work with banks, governments, regulators, exchanges, and other crypto entities to identify risk, trace the movement of crypto funds, and help comply with global regulations. Visit cyphertrace.com today for
2: more information.
1: We are going to talk about that NFT project. That just won't go away. Pudgy Penguins, they announced the completion of a $9 million seed funding round led by 1KX. The company plans to use the new capital to scale its IP and the team. The race comes one year after the project voted out its founders for draining the treasury and failing to meet project milestones. In April last year, the project was purchased by entrepreneur Luca Schnetzler for $2.5 million dollars. When Luca bought the project, he said, you know, we're going to grow the IP. We're going to license out our content and we're going to bring new ways to monetize the project. And I think that this nine million dollars is going to be put to good work. Zach, you're dancing over there. So you got some, here's a chance to redeem yourself with some more exciting takes for the second half of the show.
0: The penguins must never die. The penguins they're just (laughs) so cute. These little pudgy penguins, even Will likes them. Noted NFT hater Will Foxley is even a fan of this project because the penguins, they're just so cute. And sometimes so cute is enough to get it done, right? This project has lasted. It obviously has some community. Someone took it over. Someone raised funds. Someone is trying to push the ball forward as it relates to pudgy penguins, which were, you know, a big hit, big collection uh, not long ago. So I think we're going to see maybe something like the Doodles playbook or the Yuga playbook rollout here, right? Doodles, I think it was Doodles. They hired uh, Pharrell to be their creative director and to do a bunch of different things with their IP and to branch out. Obviously, we saw Yuga doing Board Ape Yacht Club, you know, restaurants in LA and stuff, right? So you get $9 million, you have an existing fan base, a small but passionate following. And the idea is to get the cuteness out into the world with this funding in a way that brings more people to the project and brings uh, a community together around the shared ownership of these adorable little penguins. Will, I mean, I got to throw it to you. You tend to bash on NFT stuff. So I'm curious to,
2: I'm curious for your take. Yeah, longtime listeners on the show will know I'm a fan of the penguins because cuteness is a utility and these things have them in troves. Also, a great sticker pack, apparently, that I was just shielded a second ago. Uh, the penguins. Did have some problems with their old founders, but seems like some DAO governance worked out for the first time. They booted the old founder, <laughs> got a new guy in there. And now there's going to be some Pengu cushions coming to you, Pangu plushies maybe, and maybe, maybe one day like a Pangu store or restaurant, which I would definitely attend, but you probably can only get in if you have a Pengu. So perhaps I need to go purchase one. This is like the playbook. We've seen a lot of these profile picture-based NFTs taking, right? Like you sort of have this, community based identity if you purchase the asset and if you like move into the community itself you can go do these things with other people in the community and that itself is a utility right like it's sort of just a more abstract note on your private key so in crypto we have these public and these private keys and public key is like my public address showing like where everything's are my private key unlocks those assets and if i can sort of like prove to people that i have this asset in my wallet and I can do anything I want with it. In this case, that means I can be a part of this community. And it's an external thing to crypto, but you know, crypto is for humans, and this is something that humans like to do. We like to look at penguins. So that's my take on it, Jen.
1: So the penguins had the clothing line. I believe they're launching toys now. I really would like one for my shelf. I think it's important that there's one back there. So I'm just putting that out. You know, I'm going to try and manifest a pengu toy for my for my shelves. But the way I see a lot of these projects that started as profile uh, picks and are now moving into IP going is not really the film and entertainment world. I know a lot of them are trying their hand out at that with films and short films and short series. But I really do think like that this world building and IP is going to end up in some kind of like Web3 game, Web3 digital environment, metaverse I think the projects that are able to sustain themselves for a long time and don't fall off within like the next year or two, we're going to see these like online worlds. We haven't spoken about the metaverse for a really long time. But I think that that's kind of the play for these. And so on our way there, I'm really excited to experience, you know, the IRL memorabilia that will connect us all on this mission. And that's Zach, you take the last word.
0: Jen is out here simping for a Pangu plushie. I you really heard it am. Here, you yeah. heard it here f- she first, folks. It she, she wants it right on that <laughs> shelf, right back there. Right there. It could be right there every day <laughs> on the hash. Wow, that would be amazing. <laughs> but yeah, no, we'll see. I mean, I think like, this is bullish for NFTs, right? NFTs are cultural artifacts. And like Will said, right? Humans like to look at these cute little images. And that's bullish in a way that, you know, fungible crypto assets don't necessarily... Have, right? There's certainly communities around these fungible crypto assets. We see it with Pepe. We see it with these meme coins. Uh, but there's something a bit more inviting when there's that visual aspect, when there's that uh, non fungibility involved, right? I have, this, I have this one and I can compare it with my friend who has this one. Um, you know, we see memes sustain these communities and we see it again with the meme coins with Pepe. It goes back to that. But again, having it being attached to art and then having that art unlock additional experiences is certainly something that I think is going to prove resilient, uh, you know, during this bear and then subsequently into the next bull. Let's change gears, though. I think, Jen, you got the last one.
1: Yeah, let's go off to Africa. So as a reaction to the increased fees on Bitcoin users in Africa moving to the Lightning Network and stable coins. However, when it comes to transactions like cross-border payments and remittances, people have been greatly affected. Now, this is according to Lorraine Markle, a Kenya-based founder. She says the majority of the African population is not familiar with the Lightning Network, and more educators perform onboarding newbies onto the Unchained Network as it offers self-custody. You know, I was thinking about this last night. I was thinking about El Salvador, all of the people who use Bitcoin, not just because the price goes up and down, but because it may be, you know, a better solution for them than a lot of the other uh, alternatives in their jurisdiction. And so, Will, I'm going to pass this off to you. We have really high Bitcoin fees, and sometimes in North America, we just say like the fees are high and we don't connect the dots, think about people in other places of the world that maybe can't afford them.
2: Yeah, the two things here. First, I want to actually talk about like the fee problem. Uh, it's interesting that they're already bringing up that like stable coins and Lightning are sort of an alternative to using like base layer Bitcoin and they're seeing increasing adoption. I would assume that it's probably pretty small at this point and maybe not even notable yet because it does cost money to open up a Lightning channel if you don't have one open already and most people don't have one open already. So most people are not going to open one if they don't have it open already because it's expensive to do so. And second, if you're using a stablecoin, that's a different network. And the fees have been higher in Ethereum, but like not crazy high. They're higher than normal, but not like exponentially high. So I wouldn't say that like, there's necessarily a shift yet because of one week run up in fees. Now to like the fee thing, that definitely is like a pain point right now. And there's been a lot of talk on Twitter and a lot of other places talk about how like El Salvadorians who are moving to Bitcoin or maybe uh, Bitcoiners in Africa are having to pay exorbitant fees to the network in order to process Bitcoin transactions, right? Nobody wants to pay $20 to spend $100 of Bitcoin. That's not great. The debate here, though, sort of brings you back to 2017, 2018, when there was like a lot of conversations about like, what is the point of Bitcoin on the L1 on the base layer? When I'm sending like $5 of Bitcoin to Zach is the purpose just to send $5 of Bitcoin to Zach. Or is it like this larger thing where I'm supposed to be able to spend millions of dollars on chain and banks can use it, governments can use it, institutions can use it. And that's sort of where we're seeing like this dissonance between two communities where we have this group that's saying, hey, we should be able to use Bitcoin for cash. And this other group that's saying, hey, Bitcoin is this global platform for moving large amounts of money. And you know, we'll get to the point where we're able to use it as like sort of, some sort of cash scheme. But we have to build those things in the future. And I think that's the, the clear difference here is like the Ordinals community is on the ladder. They're saying like, we still have a lot of engineering work ahead of us to be able to make Bitcoin actually usable for everyday people. It's not going to be the Bitcoin's current state. And a lot of these maximalist groups that are, you know, look at the El Salvador cases are saying the opposite. They're saying that Bitcoin should be used as cash right now. And there's going to be like only more dissension between the communities over that fact. Zach, over to you.
0: Yeah, I saw like an Eric Wall or Udi tweet. I mean, they're kind of like the LeBron and AD of like the ordinals do anything you want on Bitcoin. So apologies if this is being misattributed, but maybe a bit tongue in cheek, but the end game was always to facilitate, you know, these layer two solutions to drive people to lightning, which has been, you know, rather dormant in recent years, right? If the fees on Bitcoin base layer are so high that these layer two solutions actually need to find, you know, a reason for being, that may be a fine outcome of these silly wizards that emerged uh, with the ordinals craze, right? And then subsequently, these BRC20 things that we're seeing. So whether that is an actual thesis or a stated goal of what the ordinals are seeking to accomplish, or if it is just a tongue-in-cheek, hey, this is going to be like sort of the, the, the follow-on effect from these fees getting so high, I think that ultimately could be a good thing, right? We've seen lightning be out there for a number of years now, but not really take off in a meaningful way because bitcoin fees have been relatively low because there's not a ton of stuff going on on chain. So if that changes the conversation, like all of a sudden lightning becomes more attractive, all of a sudden some of these bitcoin L2s become more attractive, and that gets really really interesting in what in terms of what like, you know, hyper bitcoinization could look like further down the road. But obviously it's a bit distant in terms of a prospect. And in the short term, you know, those fees are squeezing out that $5 transaction that you mentioned will And I think people are rightly concerned about that. But Jen, I saw your hand. I know I got to get you on the board for this one.
1: I'll go super quick. You know, Will, you talk about the purpose of of Bitcoin, but I think like when we look at people in El Salvador, the purpose for them really is to get cheaper, faster payments from one place to another. And that's what they've been told. That's why El Salvador implemented Bitcoin. And like, maybe there are other reasons, but there are people who make a really low salary compared to what we make in North America who think that the purpose of Bitcoin and who use Bitcoin for these cheaper, faster payments. And I think it's, it's really unfortunate to see this solution that was supposed to be a remedy to the more traditional ways of getting remittances kind of amplify that problem again. But I think we have some breaking news.
0: We do. We do. Changing gears, a bit of breaking news uh, over the course of the show. Reuters is reporting that ex-Coinbase product manager, Ishan Wahi has been sentenced to two years in prison, stemming from insider trading allegations. This is, uh, this is a major development, I guess, in the space. Uh, notably, in the initial complaint against Wahi, several assets were flagged as digital asset securities by the SEC. That may be the bigger ramification down the road, but certainly, this guy is going to jail for two years over this alleged wrongdoing and after pleading guilty to said charges. Gentlemen, I toss it to you for your thoughts.
2: Yeah, uh, didn't he have a brother involved in this case? So I'm interested to see what happens. He did.
0: Yeah, with- the brother pleaded the brother guilty missed- previously and he was sentenced uh, to 10 months earlier. So now uh, he is pleading guilty and is
2: being sentenced to two years in prison for insider trading. Sheesh. Well, yeah, not a great case. Uh, I remember when this happened back in April 2022 or is it 2021? Time is slipping together in my mind right now. Uh, this was a huge deal for, for Coinbase because they're getting a lot of pressure from the SEC in the first place. And then when this was caught, it was like, oh, why is Coinbase on doing better screening on their assets and the people able to trade them? Uh, you know, After that, it was a bad look. To their point, Coinbase did like move on this very quickly. You fired these guys. I believe they tried to jet off on a plane to India. They were caught at the airport. And now they are getting some good old American justice for trading altcoins. Jen, your point?
1: It's not worth it, man. I mean, there was also that OpenSea employee who only made $50,000 and is facing up to 40 years in prison. I just think it's not worth it. Don't do it. The biggest takeaway from the story is going to see what happens to those nine coins, I think, that were listed in the initial claim. So that's, that's what I'm going to be watching out for. Zach?
0: Yep. More to come for sure. We'll leave that one here for the day. We wish you well. I'm Zach. That's Jen. There's Will. We're The Hash. Talk to you soon. Bye.